You are listening to the Tour des Flaneurs, the cycling podcast at the 2022 Tour de France, powered by Super Sapien. Energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Stage 14, today we're in Mende. Now, happily, I can start today's pod with a little bit of uh, good COVID news, which doesn't happen very often, and that is that Lionel Burney uh, has returned a couple of negative COVID tests, so he is whizzing his way out to you guys uh, in France. I think by the time that this pod will go out, he will actually be landing in Toulouse, um, so hopefully he'll be there. But He's going to miss out on what I can see now is probably the most picturesque setting that you two have been in. So, you know, tell us now, where are we, Francois? It, we're in a nice place, actually, called the Domaine de Carrière, and it's in uh, Marvejol. Marvejol is a little, is a little village uh, in Lozère. Well, about 20, as I said to you before we started, I, when I was a young guy and I was on my running days, uh, I used to do the, this half marathon from Marvejol to Mende. So I guess you know, Marvejol to Mende must be around 21k. That sounds uh, plausible. Uh, yeah, but it's a, it's a very nice place. Uh, we're, uh, we're in a little patio uh, waiting for dinner, drinking a local beer, craft beer called Lupuline. Um, and well, yeah, it's, it's quite good, actually. Um, kind of lager with, with flavor. Um, <laughs> so everything's fine. And as for Lionel, I already booked the uh, cassoulet for the, you know Sunday in Carcassonne because obviously to celebrate the return of uh, Napalm and uh, probably England's, you know, or at least Britain's... Or you know, Ireland's, no, really, Francois. Ireland's, yeah. Before yeah, you yeah, say Ireland's, anything more. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. Well, let, let, whichever nationality is, but the British <laughs> Isles are... You know, in a, in a general sense, probably number one Cassoulet fan. So he'll have, you know, he'll have a treat uh, for his return tomorrow in Carcassonne. A wonderful. Boz, do you like uh, Cassoulet? I hope so. No, but once I saw that I was going to be here for this week and that we were going to Carcassonne, I, I told Francois that that was one of the things I would love to request on this trip was a, a Cassoulet because I've actually never had it. I've heard of Lionel talk about it immensely and I've heard him, you know, a podcast where he actually made it himself, but I've never actually had it. So I'm... Um, I'm really looking forward to actually getting down to Carcassonne tomorrow and having one final supper here in uh, France. And obviously having Cassoulet with Lionel is, you know, is like sitting down with, with you know, a master, isn't it? That, that's, the, that, that's getting the full experience. Absolutely. He'll explain everything to you, the beans. And do you like beans? That's the first question. I eat a lot of beans, yes. Yeah, so if, if you eat a lot of beans, you love Cassoulet. You have to. We'll see that tomorrow. We'll, talk, we'll tell you all about it tomorrow. I'm looking forward <laughs> to hearing that. I'm, I'm glad that I'm missing the smell that will come in the car from eating all of those beans. Um, to be honest, I'm glad that I'm, I'm at the safety of being uh, back here. Uh, we, we've, been, we've been missing you. I keep, uh, keep, <laughs> I keep telling myself, you know, Rose would have been on the road with us. But, well, you know, that's life. Ne- next time. I know. Next time I'm going to be, I'm coming out for the uh, Tour de France fam, which is uh, very oh, exciting. So, I will get to have a little bit of the um, get to spend a little bit of the cycling podcast budget at some point instead of just watching other people um, enjoy these spectacular meals that you're having. But well, we should talk about the racing, shouldn't we? And um, hear what happened first of all in the Televiatap. Ahead of the riders on stage 14, almost 200 kilometres of relentlessly bumpy riding in the Massif Central, culminating in the Category Two Monte Jalabert and a kilometre of downhill into the finish line. 
The attacks came thick and fast from the start, most notably Tade Pogacar spotting that yellow jersey Jonas Vingegaard was drifting towards the back, put in an explosive attack with a mere 180 kilometres of racing to do. He was closed down by Francois's golden Swiss army knife, otherwise known as Wout van Aert. The Slovenian wasn't deterred though, attacking again and again. By his third strike, he had whittled the pack down to just the strongest riders of the race. Missing the cut, three of Vingegaard's teammates and sprinter Caleb Ewan, clearly still suffering from yesterday's crash and already five minutes down within the first 20 kilometres of racing. There were numerous further attempts to escape from the likes of Chris Jensen and Nielsen Paulus, but UAE set an infernal pace in an effort to capitalise on Vingegaard's depleted team, but the yellow jersey himself would not be caught out. It was only on reaching the Côte de Châtenay that the break was finally formed for the day. Attacks across the road from the likes of Marc Soler, Jakob Fulgsang and Thibaut Pinot eventually grouping into a 23-man break. Among them, King of the Mountain Simon Geschke, perennial breakaway rider Luis Leon Sanchez, plus three riders each from Bora Hansgrohe, EF Education Easy Post and Israel Premier Tech. Plus Louis Meinkes, who began the day just 15 minutes and 46 down on GC. With Jumbo Visma content with that, the pace slowed, allowing Roglic back into the bunch. At 115 kilometres to go, the gap was 8 minutes 25, lifting Meinkes into the top 10 on GC. But things were less good for Ewan. Despite being shepherded by three teammates, he was 18 minutes behind already and still losing ground. With the riders in the break all trying to get the better of each other, it was at just over 50 kilometres to go that Michael Matthews snapped the elastic, gaining 20 seconds on a false flat. Another lone representative for his team, Lotto Sudal's Andreas Kron, ignited the counter-attacks but couldn't get away himself until Felix Groschartner and Luis Leon Sanchez led the way. A quartet formed, leading by 30 seconds as they approached the Cote de la Farge. And as the furious attacks behind continued, the break stretched his advantage to 13 minutes and 30 seconds, which, if it finished that way, would catapult Mankeys into the top five on GC. On the penultimate climb, the teams with greater numbers in the break looked to bridge to the front of the race. Stefan Kung hoping to set up FDJ teammate Thibaut Pino. And then a huge pull from Alberto Betiol sent Ed Pickering's choice from yesterday, Balcomolema, backwards. EF's pressure continued when Rigoberto Uran took up the reins, but the gap remained 27 seconds as they crested the top. Lotto Sudal's terrible luck continued, a puncture for Kron taking him out of the front group. The now three-man escape ploughed on and reached the foot of the Monte Jalabert ahead by just 20 seconds and with a fearsome gradient to surmount. Michael Woods's hard work among the chasers thinned their numbers out, while just in front, Groschartner and Sanchez were beginning to be distanced by a determined Matthews. As they drift back into the hands of the pursuers, Betiol put in a monster surge, rapidly eating into the Australian's lead and eventually joining him with 1.4 kilometres of the climb remaining. The Italian stayed in his wheel until there was a kilometre of uphill left. He burst away, but Matthews managed to keep him on a short leash, eventually lengthening to around 10 metres. Matthews continued to hold on and began to gain ground on Betiol. With 400 metres to the summit, he jumped out of the saddle for the first time on the climb. Betiol had nothing in response. All that was left was a sweeping downhill to the finish line for the team bike exchange rider who began the celebrations in the final straight. 
Betiol came in second, Pino in third. The GC group hit the final climb themselves then, Sepkus leading them onto it, but the moment he swung away, Team UAE kicked into action with Brandon McNulty and Raphael Micah looking to dislodge a now isolated Vingegaard. Bogachar made his move in explosive fashion, but Vingegaard holds strong. The same couldn't be said for the rest, though. Gaps opening to the Ineos pair of Geraint Thomas and Adam Yates, and then another gap to David Goldou, Enric Mass, Roman Bardet and Nairo Quintana. Pogacar continued his steady assault, but Vingegaard proved unshakable, even on the sprint to the finish. Mankies is the big winner of the day on GC, jumping up to seventh, but despite some time losses, the top six positions remain unchanged. The Cycling Podcast at the 2022 Tour de France, powered by Super Sapien. Energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Still guessing on fueling? Not sure what or when to eat and drink on rides that matter? Never again. Optimize your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insight, and personalized analytics. We are here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. Thank you very much to Super Sapiens, title sponsors of the Cycling Podcast. You'll, of course, have heard by now that they have their own podcast too, the Super Sapiens Podcast, and that's hosted by Zylon Van Eyck and Dr. David Lippmann. All week, we've been enjoying clips from a recent episode when they talked to SD Works rider Ashley Mormon Passio. And here's another. You know, Banyales is a little bit more of like a local town. Um, Girona is fantastic. But it has become, you know, very sort of metropolitan. It's it's not, it's very, you know, there's a lot of expats who have settled in Girona now. Um, so you don't really necessarily always get the real flavor of, of living in Catalonia. So uh, Banyales is great because the other reason I love it so much is, you know, pro cycling is pretty intense. So when we're at the races or busy or with our team, you know, it's it's really intense. And so going back to Girona and just being confronted every day by all the pros, I kind of felt like, how do you ever escape? So, you know, Banyales is also great because I feel like a normal person in Banyales. Find out more about Super Sapiens' system of continuous glucose monitoring, which can help tailor your fueling and training for success. Go to supersapiens.com. Well, it was a spectacular win for Michael Matthews, wasn't it? After two second places uh, so far this tour to get the win. Um, and uh, we know we heard from Mitch, didn't we, earlier in the week, Francois, uh, when uh, when you were here with doing the podcast with him, that he felt that maybe Michael Matthews was lost a bit of aggression, but that's not what it looked like uh, today, did it? He maybe missed a little bit, of, lost a little bit of aggression in, his, in the sprints, but obviously... He, he, he gained a little bit of aggression in uh, this kind of uh, uh, sharp, short uh, climbs, and it, it was probably part of these uh, uh, of the reasons for for his victory today. Because everybody, obviously, in the break, uh, were, were, you know, was fearing his, his, his sprinter sprinter ability. You know, if there had been a sprint, you know, obviously. Matthews would, would have been the, the man to beat, and he actually kind of outwitted them, or you know, uh, wrong-footed them by by attacking 53 k's from the from the finish line, 
And I've always been, you know, I, I, I'm not a great fan. I, I don't like to be over-enthusiastic, but I've always been a great fan of uh, Michael Matthews. I think he deserved an even, I mean, he's had a, a tremendous c career uh, already, but I think he deserved more, you know, like a, a, a monument or even, you know, world championship. I think he, he was he was near, really close to that level. And to see him ride the way he rode today and, and, and win the, the, the victory the way he did it, you know, with uh, giving... Give, really giving his all and, and, and even tactically being really sometimes back exchange are criticized for being a little bit too blunt in their tactics today the the way uh, Matthews wrote and the, I mean I asked a question to Matt White we'll, we'll listen to him but uh, you know I think it's probably uh, one of, of uh, Michael Matthews' uh, greatest wins to be honest I was incredibly impressed with how he raced and, you know there was it was a big group that went away and he was the only rider from his team in, in a breakaway that had you know multiple riders from different teams how he raced so aggressively and you know once he finally went away with with four riders and was you know on paper maybe not the best climber in that group but you know he said in a po post-race press conference that he had he has been working on his climbing a little bit more because the team does have Gronewagen here who you know is more often than not going to be the faster sprinter on a flat stage so knowing that there are some you know specific stages that he could target that might you know Gronewagen might not be there and he needed to make sure he was ready for those stages to take those opportunities. And, you know, I think there's been a lot of talk about how unfortunate he's been to come into cycling at this era when, you know, you have Vanderpool, Van Aert, you know, these riders who are, you know, once in a generation riders who, you know, are consistently beating him on the stages that he would more often than not win if, if those riders weren't around. Um, but the way he rode the whole stage, you know, attacking, you know, 50K to go, and that's, you know, for someone like him, you know, he, he's an incredibly strong rider and he's been, you know, he's had leader, you know, the yellow jersey in, in Paris-Nice before and he's, you know, he can put out a good time trial. So he's an incredibly strong rider, but to have that confidence and then to see the way he rode that final climb once Betty all caught up to him, you know, incredibly impressive. And, and that's really a sign of his, his age and experience that he didn't panic. You know, he rode steady and, you know, watching it, you know, he just, he just kept him in insights knowing that I just have to keep him with insight up to the top and if I can make it within you know five or ten seconds to the top then I know I'm going to beat him in a sprint and he really showed a lot of, of you know class character and experience up that final climb because it you know it's it's easy especially a team that's you know and a rider that's been really searching for that stage win here you know to get a little bit overexcited and a little bit over ambitious up that final climb. Yeah, we said the other day with Mitch that he was a little bit too kind, you know, uh, as a, as a rider and as a person. To you know, you had, you, had, you have sometimes to be a killer. Uh, I, I I think today Alberto Betio, who came second, didn't find uh, you know Michael Matthews too kind to him because he really you know r really beat him. You know, you could feel the confidence, the trust he had himself, the the the, the will to 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 uh, you know at, at last win uh, that stage. He, he, it's his fourth Tour de France uh, stage win. But he hadn't won since uh, 20, uh, 2017, and, and it's like more than a thousand and eight hundred days without winning the stage on the Tour de France. He was, he, and he was with. I mean, I, I like Jasper Stoyven as well. I was very happy when uh, Jasper won Milan San Remo, and 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 they're the same type of riders, and they they, they were the, the two riders with the most top ten finishes in World Tour races together. Uh, you know, they're the same type. They're so close to being. Up there with the greats, and it's just a little bit of aggression missing today. Uh, well, the aggression was there, and uh, I'm very happy for for Michael Matthews. And do you think a little bit that you know you mentioned Boz about how versatile he is as a as a rider? Do you think in a way that has counted against him in a way uh, in the past? If people are, are kind of uh, 
in a break with him, then uh, they think he's so versatile that he could win from from any position. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's really with with him, it's it's a blessing and a curse because you know he you know while he's one of the best riders in his you know in in these various disciplines, you know he's not quite at the level of a Vanderpool or you know a Van Art. So he you know and I think you know one thing that he may have to do going forward is maybe specialize in you know a specific type of stage. You know I think you know prior to you know, the past couple of years, he's kind of been able to, you know, go for the flat sprints and also go for the hilly sprints as well. Oftentimes he'd be going up against Sagan as well. But, you know, I think as he grows and kind of, you know, matures as a rider, you know, focusing on more specific stages and, you know, knowing that, you know, the flat sprints are, you know, incredibly specific now and maybe he doesn't need to contest those, but contest more stages like, like we had today. And, you know, I, I've been racing Matthew since 2010 when we first did Tour de Lavenir together and it was an incredibly hard you know, addition that Quintana won. And I think he was oftentimes top 10 on the mountaintop finishes up in the Alps. You know, he's, he's a rider who can climb, you know, he lives in Monaco. So he spends a lot of times in the Hills riding. Like I said, it's great to see him win today. And, you know, in the post-race press conference, you could really just see how much it meant to him to finally be back on the top step of a Tour de France stage. There was a, there was a, a nice little remark made by our you know car uh, partner Ed Pickering who was on the podcast yesterday who, who said you know for a long time uh, Bling as his uh, you know his, his nickname everybody knows uh, looks sometimes looks like a boy in a you know in a grown ups in a grown man's body uh, and today I think the uh, there was still a little bit of boyishness in himself with, in the playful way he you know he played with the breakaway today. But but there was definitely a grown man who, uh, you know, it was definitely a grown man's victory today. It was really, yeah, exciting. And, you know, you can tell he, he's matured. Maybe his reputation, we discussed that with Mitch the other time, uh, he's not one of the favorite riders, apparently, for, for the other Aussie guys, because he's very, very close. He's a family man, very close to his wife. And sometimes he was seen a little bit as, as kind of a, you know, mommy's boy. Uh, and so you, he was a, a little bit derided for that. But <laughs> it makes him even more, you know. I, I like him even more for that, you know, than uh, than being uh, the, the, the solid guy. And uh, I really think it means something that uh, for for Matthews, as you said, Ian, he might, you know, decide to go for these kind of stages in the future. And once again, I mean, you know, sometimes world championships look a, a bit like today's state. Well, longer, of course, but I, I really think he should he should one day, like Stoyven, you know, won a monument. I think really. Uh, Matthews should win one of the really big ones. Yeah, and he mentioned a lot, you know, after the race of how much it meant for, you know, for him to win, but also for his family. And I think that's something that oftentimes, you know, maybe fans and, you know, people just watching sport don't realize that, you know, it really does take a family to be a successful cycle, especially at, at this level of the Tour de France, you know, with altitude training camps becoming more common and time on the road and, you know, you know, just your life at home is it's, it's completely centered around you, the athlete, which is, you know, it takes an incredible partner to be there and to support you. And, you know, I know he does have a, a kid at home and, you know, I have a, a young one as well. And I was like thinking today, I was like, Oh my goodness, I could not imagine having a kid at the same time of trying to race in the world tour because you're so focused on yourself all the time, you know, and it takes a partner who's incredibly understanding of what you're doing and, you know, that sometimes you want to go to sleep early and, you know, the baby's crying, you, you know, you need, you need your rest and how important that is. And, you know, for him to thank his wife, you know, it really does show that, you know, it takes, you know, it, his whole family's behind him and, you know, it, it pays back the, the sacrifices that they've all made for him to be on the top step of today's stage. Well, of course, uh, his family was all behind him, but also his team, Team Bike Exchange, uh, were all behind him. And so should we hear now from uh, Matt White, the DS from Team Bike Exchange, who you were speaking to, Francois, and uh, and then David McPartland, who's also DS at Team Bike Exchange. Well, Matt, 
I've always been a great fan of Bling, I shouldn't say that, but today is probably one of his most sensational victories. Hands down. Any stage win at the Tour de France is a special one, but uh, he's evolved over the years and he could win in reduced group sprints, short uphill kicks, but no, that's, that's a tough climb to the finish. What we tried to get across to, to Bling this morning is uh, you know, believe in yourself and be unpredictable. Now, in the past, people have always seen Michael as a fast guy that, that, that had to get rid of. You know, but that's on a flat stage, that's how you play that out. But today's not a flat stage. Would, people wouldn't have expected Michael Matthews to attack 50k from the finish, would they? And he caught people napping. We know he could climb, but we, we didn't know he could climb that well. He was going very well in Tour of Switzerland. We knew that his condition was uh, was as good as it gets. He's already shown some great condition in the sprints so far. But yeah, that was a very, very impressive ride. He took the bull by the horns there. And uh, I said, that, it's definitely the most impressive win of his career. Two second places, so close to victory. He, he never lost faith in himself. No, and we, and we never lost faith in him. No, we, we didn't have a day that we wanted yesterday, but you've got to move on quickly. We have. Today we had a focus to try to put Nick Schultz or, or Michael in the breakaway. And then the way Michael got there, and he got there the hard way. Go through the, how he did things today. One incredible ride to get across to the break. He had some help doing that from teammates. And then once he got in the break, he rode a really tactically astute final. And uh, at the end of the day, you can ride as smart as you want, but if you haven't got the legs, you're not going to win it. And he had the legs and absolutely nailed it. Any scare when Betiol went? Oh, it was a little bit scary in the car, that's for sure. Because you, know, you have no control. You have no control over what's happening there, but... Michael never gave up and uh, at the end of the day, the strongest man won. We came into this Tour de France, uh, we knew that uh, we have Dylan Grunewagen for the sprints and we have Michael Matthews for the stages that finish on a slight uphill incline. That was a big uphill incline, obviously three kilometres at 10%. It was always going to be difficult from that from that group, there's a lot of good climbers so had to anticipate it was the only way we could, uh, we could win. And he did it, he did it from a fair way out. It was his legs that did it in the end, it was simple as that. Took a bit of encouragement, uh, of course, because uh, it's always a risk, but um, he also understood that you know, he had to anticipate. Um, and he picked a moment, uh, we gave him all the info of the course, what was coming up. Uh, there was some tricky parts of the course there, we had the opportunity. He started it, there's only a few guys that went with him, and I mean, it was a long time there where we didn't know whether it was going to go all the way to the finish, even on the last climb, halfway up the last climb. When Betiol came across to him, we just said, you know, stay, you have to stay with Betiol. If you've arrived with Betiol, you're going to win the stage. And then Betiol got about, I think, five or six seconds on him, and we reminded him again and again on the radio, if you can get back to him, you'll win the stage. And he turned it around and actually rode away from Betiol in the end, so he deserved everything he got. Got some more opportunities for sure. It's not going to be easy to control a stage like tomorrow. There's so many teams here that still haven't won a stage. We've seen every day here the tour that it's aggressive. Everyone wants to get in the breakaway. So we'll have to wait and see what happens. But uh, if it's not tomorrow, we've still got another two sprint stages later in the week. So that was Matt White and David McPartland, uh, both of them DSs at Team Bike Exchange. I guess part of why the win was so spectacular for Michael Matthews was the people that he beat, wasn't it, Francois? When we were, uh, you know, in the car traveling to to Mont from the start, we always do that in the morning. We we do our kind of pronunciation, saying, "Oh, who'd you seen the break today?" And all actually, all the names we mentioned were there, you know. So he was he was the, the strongest possible breakaway. You had the, of course, uh, Michael Matthews. We had Alberto Betiol, who also was close to to winning. I mean, we, we were, yeah, we, was very. There was Ed Pickering's choice, Balcomolima, who Ed Pickering yeah, picked Balcomolema, yesterday. He was there. Yes, he was, 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 was he was there. there. 
yeah. well. Thibaut Pinot, we, we, we all expect him for, you know, to, to do something one day. I mean, the, the, lots of these guys, Andres Krohn, uh, I mean, you know, we can't name that. Well, you, 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 you name most of them in the tale of the etap. But I, 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 Benoit Costneufrand, there, there are so many of these guys. Stephen Kung. I mean, you and to beat the, the, the you know, in in a in a bunch like this, you, you, it's very difficult to pick the winner. You know, and, and I guess that's also, as we said in the uh, in the beginning, uh, the others, you know, were, was probably so so scared of the final climb, and they, they were probably looking at Menkis and at the guy uh, Pino and the at the climbers things thinking we must get rid of those guys but you know they didn't have the, the, the time to do that because um, Mathieu's was gone. It's a trend we've really seen throughout this entire Tour de France is how hard and how exciting every stage has been. Today's stage started off with you know Tade Pogacar in, in second place in the white jersey you know two-time winner of the Tour de France attacking at the beginning of you know it was a hilly stage but it wasn't a stage in the Alps you know and you know we were on our way to the finish line and I was you know following the race online I was thinking what the heck is going on you know and, and, and at one point you know, it was Vingegaard, Wout Van Aert, and Pogacar off the front with, you know, 175k to go. And I was thinking, this is insane. You know, what what is, is Pogacar just going to pull them all to the, you know, the other two riders to the finish? And, you know, it's really a sign that racing has, has changed. You know, this isn't a style of racing that we've seen. You know, I spent years at Sky and, you know, we never had racing like this. You know, there were some exciting stages here and there, but really every stage has been exciting. And, you know, the, the feeling I got at the finish, just, you know, seeing riders and, and you know, speaking to some people, is that this has been an incredibly hard tour, and every stage has been raced at at 110 percent, which as fans is great. Um, as a former rider, I just I just see these riders just coming across the finish line, just completely shattered. And you know, it's I guess I I see both sides of it. And, you know, traditionally there'd be hard days, and then all of a sudden there'd be you know kind of a an easy day because riders just need to to rest and recover. But you know, there's enough horsepower at the front of these races that they continually, you know, pe- people are continually attacking and making the race hard regardless of the course. Uh, even in the break, I mean, uh, as you said, the, the, I mean, the the start was hectic because everybody was trying to get in the break, including Pogacar. But but then even in the break, normally you've you've got like twenty three guys riding together, and with guys of the caliber we mentioned, normally they take turns, you know, they pull hard, and when and when 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 comes the finish, well, it's time for the big battle. Today was not the case at all. I mean, you know, the battle started from <laughs> from sixty k from the from the finish line. You know, that they were they were the the break was scattered all over the place, guys attacking in turns, little groups. I must admit in my 30-something tour, I've almost never seen uh, you know, so much racing and excitement and uh, yeah, and uh, as I, I I I used the word playful before, but yeah, it's a playful tour and it's uh, and it's nice, it's great to to watch. Yeah, I mean in in 2019, you know, we had a similar stage actually to Mond and you know, it it was almost it played out almost the same except for the excitement. You know, a breakaway went, they got a bunch of time and then they raced it out at the front and we, you know, raced the GC riders raced at the back, but I mean, could you imagine in 2018 seeing Garrett Thomas attack at the start of a stage finishing in Mond? I mean, th- there's no way and you know, I guess I I'm starting to try to like read into the psyche of Pogachar. You know, and my initial thought when he was attacking was, "Oh no, maybe he's sick and maybe he's not feeling well and he's going to do a you know Vanderpool the other day was in the breakaway and then pulled out and I thought maybe he's not feeling well he's just trying to put on a show and he's going to he's going to pull out of the stage but clearly that's not the case and then I was thinking you know the fact that that Vingegaard actually followed him means that you know it, it makes no logical sense because you have so far to go he's up the road by himself you know you could you have your full team left you know they're one of the few teams that you know they haven't lost a rider let him go up the road and burn his energy but that Vingegaard is so and and I guess the whole Jumbo Visma team is so worried about Pogachar that they're not going to let him go, that they have to follow him, which is almost irrational. You know, honest, it's not 
you know, four, four big climbs over the Alps where it's, you know, just essentially climbing or descending, he's actually following him on a relatively, you know, on a stage when you can really use all of your teammates. And the fact that, that Vingegaard is, you know, chasing a move like that is a sign that, you know, maybe it's a little bit of inexperience and it's also possible that, you know, Pogacar realizes that he can start to play these kind of mind games with Vingegaard. Yeah, but it's also a great ingredient of this Tour de France. That's we, you, we have a big, a, a big rivalry between two guys. I mean, they're, they're always together. They, they seem to kind of enjoy the the, 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 the sort of duel they, they, they're staging, you know. Like they, they were together, as you said, in a break at the start, but they were also together in the last climb, you know, to, uh, to the La Montée... Uh, Laurent Jalabert and or the Coste de Monde. I mean, the, the, this climb has many names, but you know they were together and they, they look like they're inseparable. You know, you you well, when when one is 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 there, the other is not far. You know, they and 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 it's exciting to have this kind of you know man to man fighting and 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 hopefully it'll go on for the the last week and uh, and be even even more exciting. Yeah, I mean, I guess when I think in in modern history and you know when, since I've been following the sport, you know, I haven't really seen two riders in the Tour de France go head-to-head so evenly matched. You know, outside of the stage to Grenon, you know, we haven't seen two riders so close. And, you know, really just going with each other, you know, attack for attack, blow for blow, you know, not just in the beginning of the race, but, you know, in the end of the race as well. And I think, you know, maybe the last time would be, I don't know, Le Monde and, and Hinault, where they're, they're literally, you know, they're... It, it reminds me more of 1989, Le Monde, uh, Le, uh, Le Monde and Fignon, you know, when they were, they were attacking each other every day, and there was that similar kind of, you know, teasing each other, even at the start. I remember a stage to Saint-Étienne, actually, uh, in that tour, in, or in the same area, where, they, where really Fignon and Le Monde were attacking in turns. It's, it's very similar, and remember how it, how it handed, you know, the guy who was in the lead for a long time finally lost it, so <laughs> all we can hope for is as much suspense, battle, and and you know, and and uh, unpredictable uh, finale. We'll see. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to today's breakfast with Boz here on the Cycling Podcast. Possibly my best morning yet. I woke up at six thirty. I was fairly tired. I normally don't wake up to an alarm, but I did set an alarm because after my rest day yesterday. I knew I wanted to get out for a ride today, and I sure am glad that I did because it is an absolutely beautiful region in which we are staying up here in Le Bassette in the Massif Central. And I mapped out a little route, uploaded it to my Wahoo, and got out for an awesome 30-mile ride this morning. Probably the most beautiful ride I've done here in France so far. Of course, riding in the Alps is beautiful, but there is something special about the rural, quiet, and I don't want to say rolling hills because they're pretty big hills, but the, the climbs around here in the Massif Central, I did the Col de Loyon, I believe. Um, it was actually a climb that Francois had not heard of, but it has been used four times in the Tour de France before, all won by Spanish-speaking riders, some Spanish and some Colombian riders, last in 1995. And I was super happy to get out and and do a ride. I was worried that I wasn't going to make it back in time for breakfast. I left the hotel without eating breakfast or drinking a coffee. And being in rural France, it was hard to find anything that was open early on a Saturday morning. But I made it back in time for breakfast. And of the four or five mornings I've been here, it was the first time we've actually stayed in an actual hotel. So there was breakfast here at the hotel and very typical French breakfast, which was actually kind of nice. I've been going out and having options of what sort of pastry I'm going to pick and what kind of quiche I'm going to get. And today was very simple. I had a croissant and I had some bread with butter and jam. I did have a piece of cheese that the 
lady brought out um, to throw on my bread, but very simple and kind of nice just to have a, a simple, easy morning, a gorgeous bike ride. And Corrections Corner, we did figure out this vegetable that I found in this roundabout up in Laup d'Huez yesterday. It is called Cardone, or maybe Italian would be Cardone or Cardoon. Um, I'm not entirely sure of the pronunciation, but I found it on the internet after we recorded last night, and a listener also reached out to share what it was. I don't know where to find it. Um, I've never seen it in the U.S., but if I have the opportunity to go to a garden store, maybe I'll see if I can find some seeds and try to bring it back to the U.S. and plant it. I'm not sure how well it would grow up in northern New England with the cold winters, but something to try. We do have a greenhouse. So I'm going to get dressed. We are about to head off down to Le Monde, and we're going to drop down off the hills here in the Massif Central and drop in to the heat ahead of stage 14 of this year's Tour de France. Well, that was today's Breakfast with Boz, and it was good to find out that it was a, a card, Cardone, Cardoon, Cardon. Did you work out how to say it? Yeah, I think I saw someone in, in Italian. It's, is it Cardi? I don't know the proper pronunciation. And, you know, we discovered last night at dinner that, you know, Francois had never seen it. It, it is a very rare vegetable. I, I should say that is that is a big thing on the cycling podcast to find something that Francois doesn't know. That's quite incredible. <laughs> That's a landmark moment for us, I think. It's a new it's a new segment. Stump the chump. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I'll go into into Cardone or wherever it's. Yeah, Cardone, I think. Big time now, you know. So, so well, you know, so next time I'll, I'll tell you all about it. But no, it's really, I've never heard of it. Yeah, you said it was popular in France and uh, popular in Italy. And uh, we should move on to another Italian favorite that uh, you found, Francois. Um, on the uh, race today, so uh, please listen in, dear listeners. Giro, could you explain to us how how has uh, Alberto Bettiol been racing in this Tour de France? As you already know, dear listener, normally I'm more involved, not really in cycling tactics. Maybe I'm more prepared in beaches or holidays. But specifically uh, speaking about Alberto. I think that uh, he had in the past uh, a very difficult moments, a lot of physical problems. Normally he is known in Italy as the man so far that he had great days as for example the Flanders or the stage dictator in the Giro, but he's not able to give a kind of standard of high results. So he's uh, trying to do his best to to make a personal result and and so sometimes uh, uh, I mean uh, maybe he can uh, sometimes he can also make make mistakes as all human being no so today make you made a big mistake in my opinion uh, maybe a first mistake maybe was could have been better for him to stay with the four guys when the Matthews the action with the gross shark and Luis Leon Sanchez and then in the climb, uh, in the climb named for Jalabert, it would have been better to stay with Matthews and not try to make a gap with him immediately. But also, we have also to consider that uh, he lost by Matthews, that been really, really, really strong. So the chance of an Italian victory before Paris? The time trial with Filippo Ganna on Saturday certainly can be a chance. I don't see uh, an Italian winning in the mountain stage of Pyrenees, Peyragud and Otakam. But in the other days, for example, 
I never expecting Alberto second in a finish like this because uh, I thought that the finish climb was too hard for him. So who knows the listeners? But remember that the most important stages of this tour is the stage of Monday 25, 25th, the stage number 22, the only stage that I can win. <laughs> Well, you, you know, it's it's not very difficult to find uh, Chiro on the Tour de France. He's, he's already chasing the Italian or the Italians doing well, and and the man is, is kind of a, it's kind of chasing after since the start of the this Tour de France has been uh, Alberto Betion. It's it's it's, it's, fun, it's I mean. Dear listeners, you should see what you know. Uh, cheer at the buses or at, you know near the, the team cars is 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 as you can imagine very nervous and you know very fidgety, running around try, trying to get to 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 the rider first. As you heard, you know. Um, I, I like it with with Chiro. He's always optimistic than a, than a, that an Italian might you know finally win a stage. Bettiol obviously was one of the closest to do that in in this in this uh, in this Tour de France. Unfortunately. Uh, well, we, we we saw in the pavé, uh, you know, on, on the Roubaix stage, what, what we call the Roubaix stage, that his, his attitude, the way he rode, was not, uh, uh, you know, simple to understand. Today, today he, he, he really rode much more cleverly, you know, than than, than he did probably in Roubaix. Um, and he's, he's been there all the time. You can tell, you know, he's in great shape, he's in great form, he, he's not far from it. He's a little bit in the same position as Matthews was before today. So... Who knows? Yeah, he, he, he might finally get it. EF was one of the teams with three riders in the breakaway, and you know, I was you know seeing their tactics. I was a little bit confused as to what they were doing because at one point the four riders had gone up the road with with Matthews, and Betiol went to the front and started riding. And I was thinking, okay, well that that makes sense because they have Rigo in the in the group, and you know if they can close that gap before the final climb, then you know surely if Rigo's on a good day, it's it's a great climb for him. Lo and behold, you know Betiol took a big pole. They didn't really take any time out of the the breakaway and he actually almost at one point got dropped you know he was he was you know kind of just made it onto the tail end of, of the chasing group over the top of the climb and you know was able to get back in into the line and you know turns out that he had a much better day and much better legs than than Rigo and so I caught up with Charlie Wigelius after the stage to kind of ask him about that because you know I was a little bit I was completely puzzled as to why would you put Betty on the front to close the gap if he was your strongest rider but you know, 14 days into the tour, there's a lot of unpredictable feelings. And so let's hear from Charlie Wigelius about their team tactics and what he'd heard from Betiol before the final climb. You guys have been racing aggressive whole tour. I mean, how do you feel about today's stage? I think the whole tour's been racing aggressive, to be honest. I mean, that start was something for the record books. We knew that this was one of the last stages in the race where you can really go for the win from a long breakaway because of the Pyrenees are going to be super hard. So I think to get those three in there was already a great effort managing a break like that isn't easy when the group with Matthews went we knew that we were a little bit on the back foot and we had to try to correct that on the penultimate climb in that moment Alberto said he didn't feel great so when he went to pull that was to try and close the gap but I don't think he realized how well he was going I think we saved the race there but in hindsight we'd obviously preferred to do it with another rider but asking Everybody feels so tired in those moments. It's really hard for everybody to judge how they're feeling. And I think Alberto did everything he could to get rid of Matthews on that final climb, but you could see he was just so strong that he resisted that attack. And I think that coming to the line with Michael Matthews in a two-man sprint wasn't really an option that we wanted to take. 
I mean, Bittiel's, you know, shown that he's clearly in, in decent form and coming back to his best. I mean, it's it's so hard on a day like today when it's also so hot and long and you have you do have three riders in the brakes or other teams are looking at you to control. I mean, you've been a rider before. I mean, as a director, how do you how do you try to manage who's feeling the best in that situation? Because obviously we saw Bettiel put in a, a big dig to try to close the gap, but it, it wasn't really coming down. And, and at the end, he was was the best rider on the team. Yeah, I mean, we asked him at the bottom of that climb and he said over the radio that he didn't feel good. He was having a bit of a bad moment, but I think he just didn't realize how strong he was actually in that moment because everybody in the race was cooked. Everybody had done more or less the same effort to make it in the break. You saw the quality of the riders, the heat and everything. So I think maybe in that moment he just lacked a little bit of faith in himself or just didn't realize how good he was feeling. Nonetheless everybody did the best that they could and if seconds the best we can come away with today then so be it yeah i mean it was a great ride by betiel and also good to see him back in contending stages he's had quite a few health problems over the last period but uh he's a winner you know he just uh, i don't think he's so happy with second today betiel actually you know when he came to the bus uh, there was a well a bunch of us journalists you know waiting for him he sat on the uh, you know on, on the little steps go, going up in, into the bus, looking really tired and uh, frustrated, and but in the same time, you know, very honest about the, the about his day, uh, you know, up front. And well, let's 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 uh, listen to Alberto. I was feeling not super super, but in the end, it was better than uh, than the beginning. I, I spent quite a, a lot for getting to the breakaway. Sometimes you spend five hours in the bike, and then in uh, a few seconds, uh, your victory go. Uh, I think Matthews deserve uh, this victory, but uh, I promise uh, everybody, especially in this team, that uh, all the staff of this team, that make a big effort for for us to to try for another victory. And uh, I'm disappointed for me, for them, for uh, people that believe me. But Tour de France is not over yet, and uh, I will give another try. It seemed as though you had almost cracked Matthews. Could you feel that that he was really on the limit? He did exactly like uh, what I did uh, a few days ago, and uh, he made it. And uh, <laughs> on the uphill finish a few days ago, I I didn't make it to the finish. He started 52k to the finish. I bridged him uh, 1k to the finish, and I didn't think uh, personally he, he would have the legs to, to drop me. But I, I listened at the radio, uh, my sport director saying try to, to drop him. More or less as I did uh, last year in Giro d'Italia with Cavagna, but uh, unfortunately I found a really strong Matthews, he deserved to win. Yeah, I mean, I think there was a sense of disappointment with Alberto for, you know, being so close to winning the stage, but then not winning the stage. But I think in many regards, you know, it's also a sign and probably a huge confidence booster. You know, he has had a hard couple of years and to finally find himself once again at at the front of a race and you know he you know doing the the work he did for the team you know trying to close that gap you know 50 60k to go and then still being the rider that you know came closest to matching matthews up to mond you know it was a really impressive ride and i think you know although he is disappointed it probably is a real you know confidence booster to know that he is getting back to his best and you know he is a rider who can you know win stages in the biggest races i was wondering wh whether since you know is is cobble's uh, incident when you know everybody said well it it, it ridden for himself in instead of the team uh, if he's not paying that back in a way by you know he, he worked for uh, uh, magnus court in Megev, he, he worked for rigo today and maybe you know maybe he, he's trying to prove a little bit too much that that is is a team 
you know, is really as a team spirit and works for the team. And maybe it costs him, you know, a little bit of energy today. We'll never know. But hopefully, I think if we fo if we follow Chiro's advice and 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 you know, optimism, he um, might he might get one. Yeah, I mean, he was not the only person to kind of miss out at the last, was he? I mean, we had Louis Menkes on the road. Um, he was 15 minutes, 46 seconds down on GC when the stage began. And uh, definitely when I was watching the, the coverage from here, the commentators were constantly saying, you know, if the race finished here, then Louis Menkes uh, being in the break, he would be throwing himself into the top 10, the top five. At one point, he made it uh, even that he would be the yellow jersey so you know what do we make of uh, Louis Menke is, it, is he is he actually a, a GC contender going ahead or is this kind of a, a, a lucky break uh, well literally a lucky break we saw he was he was excellent in the Alps I think he's, he's in the, the form of his life I mean he was he was eighth in the in the tour twice I mean he had top 10 uh, grand tour finishes but it is but he's now seventh I think his best grand tour placing standing you know uh, uh, in his career it's, it's also a sign of the way as Ian was saying that the cycling's changed uh, in back in the day, you know, as we say, uh, they, they wouldn't they, they wouldn't have let a guy uh, who was who was in 13th place with even even 15 minutes uh, adrift go in the break, you know. And uh, so so they're, they're ready to take those chances now. And I mean, so in a way, yeah, Menkis um, uh, took really advantage of the situation. And I mean, yeah, is in. I, I think if if he keeps the same kind of shape in the Pyrenees. Is uh, a top ten, you know, finisher for sure. Maybe a little bit better than that. Yeah, I mean, I think he also made a very conscious decision today that he was here to ride GC, and that because the racing is so unpredictable now, that you know he could continue to to kind of climb the GC ladder. You know, he's he is sitting second overall in the KOM classification, and he was never really motivated by that classification today. You know, he there was opportunities that he maybe could have chased those points a little bit more. However, he, you know, he made it clear that, hey, we have, we have a huge gap. We could continue to gain time, and I can climb this GC ladder. And if, you know, clearly he's feeling well enough that he knows that he could hopefully, you know, in the Pyrenees continue to stay up there or maybe even climb higher. And so, you know, smart riding by him as well to realize the situation that he's in and that, you know, he is a rider that maybe is a little bit off the radar of, of the big GC teams. So they might let him slip up the road and might not necessarily, you know, look at him as a rider who can contend for the overall. But this is kind of the point in the race as well when teams start defending different objectives and different strategies and and you know teams do start racing for okay let's try to secure fifth place or sixth place um so i think in the, in the next week we'll see more of that happening anyway yeah i i had a chance to grab you know louis Mengtis, not not the most out outspoken rider in the bunch but um you know there were there were three of us there uh and this is what he had to say yeah, I always think about it, but yeah, I'm also uh, realistic. Yeah, I knew I would have to have uh, a lot more time uh, to be able to keep it to the finish, but I thought, yeah, maybe for a few seconds I was the, the virtual leader, but yeah, by the end of the stage I was pretty sure it wouldn't be the case. It's still very far to go and a lot of things still to happen, so I'll uh, dream about it a bit later. Science in Sport is supporting the cycling podcast at the 2022 Tour de France. Science in Sport, fueled by science.
thank you very much to our sponsors, Science in Sport. Of course, we heard in our recent Kilometre Zero episode about the efforts that our producers Adam and Hugh put out to complete the ETAP this year. And if you're looking ahead to a challenge of your own, then head to scienceinsport.com for all your nutritional needs, whether that be for energy, hydration or recovery. And don't forget, you get 25% off all of their products when you head to scienceinsport.com and use the code SISCP25. Now, I can see already that I'm keeping you from your meal for tonight, but I did want to hear about yesterday's meal because frog legs were on the menu. I wondered how many people went for it in the end. Well, there were three of us, uh, Ian, uh, Ed Pickering and myself. I could see that Ed was a little bit reluctant uh, to go with the frog legs, uh, but, <laughs> but I mean, Ian is, uh, you know, he's a... Uh, yeah, he's adventurous, you know. He came on this on this Tour de France kind of to discover. Well, he, he knows that the journalist job better and better, and you know, I mean, he's an, an impressive, you know, uh, rookie in that field. But and so, <laughs> yeah, we we went for the um, for the cuisse de grenouille for the frog legs, and well, what did you think, Ian? They were delicious. I mean, I, I really love food and I love trying new things. And I think you know, oftentimes when you're when you're racing in the Tour de France, you have a team chef, so you never get to really taste the local culture and you know the the terroir and that's been the beauty of you know traveling around with Francois is that you know he knows so much about about the food and you know I can ask him like hey you know what what's the most traditional dish of this region or what you know what wine are we going to drink you know even today driving through Le Puy you know explaining the you know the the statue and you know the castles and you know just general geography and you know architecture you know it's it's really been a you know a trip of a lifetime for me just to see you know a country I lived in France for so long I spent a lot of time in Nice, but I really didn't get to know or learn much about the rest of the country because you're always in a team bus focused on on the race and, and you know what the coming days. And so here I've actually been able to really embrace you know everything that Francois has been able to share. It goes vi- vice versa because we found uh, you know with Ian today that we are both fans of a country folk singer called Towns Van Zandt, who, who is a, a cult hero of mine and, you know, obviously uh, also a hero of Ian. And so we, 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 we drove across the Massive Central listening to uh, Towns Van Zandt, who's, uh, you know, a, a Texan. Uh, but, yeah, it was it was nice to see that, you know, we share many, many passions in common and, uh, and well, Towns Van Zandt and that this, this kind of music was one of them. So, uh, you know, we learn from each other and that's uh, the, the magic of the tour i guess um <laughs> and ab- about the region now where, where we are um uh well it, it's actually a wine region more and more you know it, it was it was not too famous for for wine i mean we've been l- last night the frogs legs we were in the near saint-etienne in a region called le forez we were actually at the top of la croix de chaubouret well i, I said last night which is a famous fam- famous pass in the uh, in cycling history, and we went through all those 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 this territory. When we were near Le Puy-en-Velay, it's not, not far from where Romain Bardet lives. I mean, it's uh, it's actually the Massif Central, a huge uh, area with lots to see. Uh, I mean, it's a volc- I mean, when when we were driving, we were seeing all those bumps. It's not like the Alps or the, the Pyrenees, much more bumpy. But it's also 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 you know all, all volcanoes. So so. I mean, this you know, it's it's, it's rather exciting, and the, the the reflection we made, the the, the thought we had, um, there was a suggestion a couple of years ago, from I don't I don't know if it was ever made public, but I discussioned with Christian Prudhomme, he he, he had that that idea. I, I don't know if he, he he will dare do it one day to have a 
Tour de France without the, the, the really big mount mountains to go for the most, you know, like he's already a great fan of the Vosges, as we, as we know now that, you know, La Planche del Belfi is there almost every year. He's, he's a great fan of, of Massive Central as well. And he, he, he they were thinking at the time, if we had a mid-mountain Tour de France, you know, maybe the guys like Michael Matthews, even Wood van Aert, or, you know, in his, you know, better days, uh, Peter Sagan could, could, could go for the Tour de France. I mean, probably the, the result would be the same, uh, you know, uh, finally. But it would be interesting, for, for, you know, from time to time to have the Tour de France without, I'm not saying without the Alps of the Pyrenees completely, but, you know, with, with more stages like Megève or more stages like today, and, and maybe for, for more of a no rounder within the Tour than just a climber. Yeah, I mean, I've spent very little time in the Massif Central outside of racing and, you know, especially being being an American and being a cycling fan, you know, oftentimes you hear people, oh, they're taking a trip to the Alps or the Pyrenees. But if I was a cycling fan, I would come here because there are so many roads. They're incredibly quiet. You know, it, it's definitely not catered towards, you know, tourism. You know, the, there's no menus in English. You know, everyone speaks French. But as, you know, someone who speaks very, you know, little French, I, I really enjoy it because it, it really feels like you're you're in France. And there is so much, you know, unique culture in, in each and every place. And, it, and it's not, you know, blown up. It's incredibly quiet. You know, the ride this morning, I saw almost no cars. You know, I did three, I guess, pretty big climbs. And, you know, we've kind of been discussing this idea of a mid-mountain tour for a couple of days in the car and thinking this would be such exciting racing. You know, it would really open up the racing for allowing more people to be, you know, in contention to, to win the Grand Tours, which in my mind as a fan would be incredibly fun to watch. Who would, who would be your pick, Ian, for, for winning that mid-mountains Tour de France, would you say? I mean, it's hard to discount Wout Van Aert, but at the same time, you know, it, it would make the racing really dynamic. You would have stages that would be hard enough where maybe some climbers would take some time, but it would be 10 or 15 seconds, not minutes. And equally, you would have, you know, riders, you know, constantly beam within, you know, even two or three minutes of, of taking the yellow jersey. So you would constantly, you know, eyes would always be on the breakaway. They wouldn't let breakaways get 10 or 15 minutes because there would be, you know, 40 or 50 riders within striking distance. And, you know, it would make it incredibly stressful for the riders because breakaways would never go. And, you know, it, it could even potentially dull the racing a little bit if, you know, we didn't see, you know, attacks going early. But at the same time, I think it's it's worth a try. You know, as the attention span of viewers becomes shorter, you know, I think it, there'll come a t point in time when, you know, the Tour de France and the ASO do need to kind of consider, you know, what is the next evolution of this race? In the same time, uh, the, the, what's exciting about cycling also these days is that even climbers are much more all-rounders versatile than they used to be. You know, we, we saw Nairo Quintana more than once, you know, uh, doing well on the pavés, attacking, remember, what was it in the Vuelta? He, 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 you know, he broke away on his own. I mean, you know, the, the, you know, the, the specialists, there are still specialists, of course, but I, I think all the riders are much more, you know, yeah, all-rounders, uh, much more, you know, complete... Uh, uh, these days, <laughs> and so I think that you know, in if you had the mid mountain Tour de France, I, I would probably put my money on Tadej Pogacar anyway. <laughs> so, well, with with that in mind, you know, the the kind of uh, the fact that people aren't kind of specialising as much, or you know, all the riders seem to be able to to do so many things. Uh, casting ahead to tomorrow, uh, that that on paper should be a sprint stage, although I think I've said that a few times. Uh, already and it and it never has uh, been. So, what can we expect from uh, tomorrow, Francois? Well, the, the last winner in Carcassonne Tour de France was Magnus Court. So, uh, well, I'm not saying that Magnus can't sprint because he is pretty fast. But, but yeah, oddly enough, it's a, it's a town Carcassonne that that, uh, that has suited uh, sprinters 
in the past, but also from time to time, you know, uh, breakaways. I guess that, that with the fatigue and uh, as we said, you know, it's been a very hard tour, very fast tour, uh, and 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 the, the, these roads in the sun, they're all they're, they're not they're not very always very bumpy. You know, there are bumps, there are little hills, but they're they're very narrow, they're very winding, and uh, and so it, it's difficult really to, for for a bunch to ride in those uh, in those little roads uh, in the sun so a break is still is still possible even though i think you know that the the, the sprinter teams have missed opportunities uh, a little bit too much for their their own good so i i, I my impression is that they, they will probably try because otherwise it's paris you know it's they don't have many more chances so i, I guess tomorrow we, we can probably still think you know uh that they're going to really really try to have a bunch sprint yeah, I saw Caleb Ewan once again rolled in within time cut, and, you know, with his with his teammates and his teammates around him. I assume in anticipation that you know tomorrow is a day that they could win, but at the same time, you know, it's a long stage tomorrow. It's two hundred and two kilometers, which you know for any team at this point in the race to control that is. And you know, if we see a strong breakaway go up the road again, like we saw yesterday, you know, it's really hard for even a couple of teams to try to control a breakaway of that size. So I think it really just depends on can the sprinters teams in the beginning of the race make sure that the right breakaway goes up the road but as we've seen recently in cycling you know there are no weak riders anymore you know a breakaway of five or six guys get two minutes and they might they might still stay away which is something that is relatively new to the tour de france you know typically you'd get eight or nine minutes and you know the breakaway would still come back but that's not the case anymore and how what do we know of caleb ewan's condition because obviously his crash yesterday kind of changed the uh, narrative of what that that stage was because they had didn't have Lotto Sudal chasing uh, the breakaway then what do we know of of how he's feeling he, I mean he lost uh, uh I mean he, he was down 20 minutes within uh, uh, a few tens of kilometers uh, on this stage today do, do we know how he's feeling or whether he'll be competitive tomorrow from we gathered from the team that uh, i mean the, the word from john lelong when you, he spoke to me yesterday was that you know they, they, they would make sure he uh you know he, he recuperates and he recovers as much as possible so so there may be you, you know sprinters do that cavendish done done, uh, done it last year when you have a time cut and you want to to relax as a sprinter the, the, the thing if you ride well the, the 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 thing to do is to is to get to the finish as close as possible from a time cut because you know you you save you know as much energy as you can it's it's quite possible that 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 Caleb is not really trying hard just you know saving energy trying to to recuperate and just making the time cut uh, and hoping that you know uh, his condition will get better what what Lelong told me also yesterday you heard it uh, if you listened to to yesterday's episode was that he was actually in great shape you know he he recovered from his previous crash was was you know really going for it and we we'll see tomorrow might be the day, but I mean, the, the, if if you take the dynamics of the, I mean, the other teams will be in there for a bunch sprint and uh, bike exchange. They won two stages now. Uh, I mean, they were already thinking about tomorrow's stage and think with uh, Dylan Grunewald in, in in mind. So um, yes, yeah, so I think some some teams have a real interest in tomorrow tomorrow's stage being a bunch sprint and quick step. You know, they started well, very well. And uh, we haven't seen them since. Uh, so there are many. I think yeah, there are many teams, many sprinter teams have an interest in, tom- in tomorrow's stage being a bunch sprint. So we'll have a bit of a, a first week resurgence from some teams, and and like this team because this is the last uh, night that I'm covering the uh, podcast uh, with you two, covering for Lionel, of course, who's going to be uh, flying in as we speak, and uh, we'll be there 
in place, in his rightful place, uh, back on chairing the podcast um, tomorrow, which we're all looking forward to. It was a great pleasure, Rose. I mean, and I'm really sorry that you won't be with us for a cassoulet tomorrow, but I mean, there you are. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's a shame. But actually, no one ever asked me. I, I do have a drink every night. No one ever asked me. Well, I'm drinking, yes, and which is probably lucky. What are you? Where are you, Rose? <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually down in. I'm in beautiful Somerset by the by the sea. So um, I do have a lovely view. I've got a lovely glass of red here, actually, which I should uh, take the opportunity to mention. Uh, it's part of the Cru de Flaneur collection uh, of wine, which is curated by Greg Andrews at Divine Cellars, and that's still available if you want to. Uh, drink along. I think it's a red from the Cote du Rhone, but I haven't got the bottle with me, so I well, can't, actually, can't I do have a I do that. have a question for Divine Sellers because I have been listening oh. to the podcast often, and I do they ship to the U.S. So that's a question that maybe they can get back to us about because I know yes, that yes, only they can answer that. Yes, well, question to them: Can they ship me a case but- <laughs> to the U.S. <laughs> or if they're really quick, they can just ship it to France. You can take it home with you. Although it might expect be expensive on the old um, extra luggage, I guess. I can leave my bike here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what a good swap. But yeah, they've got a, a collection that is mirroring the uh, the tour this year, and so you can drink along with the tour. That would be yeah. That sounds that sounds like a great idea. Drinking like a, almost like a, a tour drinking game. Uh, well, thank you very much for your company um, this week, uh, gentlemen, and uh, I'm sure you'll be like, hoping. Well, you'll be looking forward to normal service resuming, but thank you very much, Ian. Um, it's been a pleasure to have you. Yeah, thank you, Rose. It's been it's been great to um, to connect and to have you here guiding us every day throughout this tour for, I guess, for me so far. Um, and I hope we get to do it again soon. Yes, and Francois, I mean, th- this is your difficult middle week, isn't it? You've still got another week week yeah, to go. Yeah, actually, I, I'm I'm uh, you know may- maybe with experience like uh, Michael Matthews, I'm I'm improving and I I'm becoming a third week man more and more. I feel less tired with each day, so you know, uh, yeah. Well, beware. <laughs> well, that sounds like you're you're not giving up anytime soon. Normally, you're always saying this is your last one, your your, your final flower. Oh yeah, no, but... no, no. It's, it's, it's it is it is <laughs> almost almost definitely my 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 last one but but i want to enjoy the the the, the third week i mean uh, and you know and once again thanks very much rose for you know taking us through that second week it was a real pleasure yes to have you. well almost definitely gives us some hope francois that you'll be that you'll be back next year we, we always have hope uh, for that that you can be persuaded uh, but playing us out tonight is of course our tour de buffalo and uh, this time it's from the 2015 tour which uh, obviously finished in uh, a stage that finished in Mond as well. The day when Steve Cummings beat Bardet and Pino at the finish. Uh, we spoke about it yesterday. What a thrilling finish that was. Um, but uh, here's Richard Moore uh, to tell us a little bit about Steve Cummings and a little bit about that stage. The Tour du Buffalo. Remembering Richard Moore. I think as well that he... He is prone to his his head going down a bit. He can become a little bit negative. Um, There was this famous story in 2010 where it was all going wrong for Team Sky, but they were being encouraged, told to attack every day, and it just nothing was happening for them. Um, And you had two contrasting characters in the very upbeat, sunny, uh, permanently aggressive Juan Antonio Fletcher and Steve Cummings, who by the third week really had given up. And there's a story of him going to the, 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 the loo in the Team Sky bus and coming back and finding a post-it note 
on his chair from Juan Antonio Fletcher, which read, you will leave your balls on the mountain or you will not get back on this bus. Um, so anyway, let's hear well, I think, well, hang on. I think the significance of the day as well for MTN Quebec, it's Mandela Day. Um, they had a, an inspirational kind of team talk this morning. Um, it was important to them on so many levels. And I think as a, one of the wildcard teams, you know, they've absolutely, well, they'd already justified their presence in the race with Daniel Teckleheimer not in the King of the Mountains jersey for so long. But, I mean, this really is uh, the the icing sugar on the cherry on the cake. Let's hear from Steve Cummings and then from Brian Smith, his general manager at MTN Quebec. Steve, you, can you just tell us how you rode the, the climb? There were a lot of attacks, um, guys going off. Did you know the way you were going to ride that climb? Because it's a very steep, very tough climb. What was your sort of strategy going up there? Yeah, I knew um, I did the climb before in Paris in, I think, 2010. And uh, I, I knew it was really quite tough. I knew roughly it was around 10 minutes, probably. The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freeb and Lionel Burney.